everyone. Welcome to episode number 100. It's a pretty amazing to think we actually made it this far. So thanks for being here for some of you, all of those episodes. If you're more recent, well, we appreciate the fact you found us. If you're brand new, hopefully you'll go back through some of our library. We've got an, a ton of incredible guests. I won't try to list them all here. But speaking of incredible guests, we have Savan Fagan here today. Um, she is a writer for Teenation and Bodybuilder.com. We'll tell you more about her shortly. And we talk about a lot of thoughts about how being a personal trainer is a little you know, unpredictable with our schedule and our income and how she navigates this, how she expects strong commitments and how she delivers value with her work, uh, how our industry, we are in the business of selling delayed gratification, at least the good fitness professionals. And we get into a big discussion about how the fitness space, our fitness space is dominated by men and how we can create opportunity and how women can become more visible in that space. Uh, for example, getting more people on our more qualified women on our podcast. So hopefully you love this episode. Stay tuned. It's a great one. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to episode number 100. It's actually kind of cool. Uh, milestone episode. We have my friend Savan Fagan here to talk today. Um, it's an honor to have you on here. Um, she's based in Baltimore. She's a trainer and online coach and uh, a writer for T Nation. That's actually how we first got talking about all this stuff and eventually led to getting on the podcast. She also writes for bodybuilding.com. And so welcome. It's nice to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. You, you get the lucky like 100th episode. I don't know. You must be like a big. You must be a big deal. <laughs> we only get one hundredth episode, and that's you. It's how it timed. It worked out. I mean, in all honesty, we uh, we actually had more or less planned to meet Dean Somerset in here because there's a long running joke with our podcast, and Dean and he's been uh, on it several times. But I think he's in Australia, or at least he's in somewhere on the other side of the world right now. We weren't able to make it. The timing works. So we'll bring him on soon. But uh, so it actually falls to you, which is still pretty cool. So uh, we were talking about this, about uh, some of your background, and you had some ideas you wanted to share about what had inspired you to start training and some of your history. So that's a good place to start, so if you want to. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in Israel. Um, when I was 17, I suffered from an eating disorder, anorexia, and it was terrible. It was for about a year. My hair was falling out. I was in a very, very um, bad, bad place. And I basically, basically my dad was the one that kind of like lured me into the gym. He was like, uh, you can come to the gym, you can exercise and you can be healthy. So I gave it a shot. I didn't really strength train on that day. I actually fell asleep at the gym. <laughs> so that was my first experience. <laughs> and, um, but then I kind of slowly really fell in love with the whole idea of, you know, strengthening your body and kind of like, I really changed my whole idea, my whole, um, I guess my ideal body image would be more, um, you know, a strong physique rather than like a very weak physique. And, and I just wanted to be more, you know, I didn't want to, want to, lose weight, I kind of want to gain weight. But obviously that was a slow process. It wasn't, you know, just from day one. And that was something that I worked on for years. How did that turn into a career? Um, well, 
throughout the years, I realized that uh, strength training is really my passion and I wanted other people to experience what I experienced. And I realized it's not only as far as the physical aspect, it's obviously it's the mental and emotional growth that comes with uh, strength training. So I went to school for it, exercise science, and um, that kind of like how it rolls from there. Okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting because like everyone has their own story. Like a lot, a lot of dudes, you're not the same, but like, it's usually like the ex athlete who like loves training ends up going to it, but it's, you found your love for training in a very different way. Does that make sense? Right. Like you found it as a way out of, well, an eating disorder. Yeah. Out of a very, very, very bad place. Yeah. I think there's and a- it's because back in the day it was, you know, 2000 and. <clears throat> 2005 like not a lot of women were at the gym especially mm-hmm. not in Israel it was kind of like me and the boys yeah. and I remember a lot of times I had men coming up to me and they're like you're gonna get big and bulky <laughs> like you don't want that right and I'm like uh, I don't think I can you know so it was kind of like it was interesting to see how my mindset really changed from the age of 17 18 wanting to be very skinny and I was gonna go into modeling then, so that was obviously part of the part of the whole um, industry there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like that's interesting because like even like how long how long ago was that? Like ten years? So that no, so that is um, fourteen years ago. Yeah, and like there wouldn't have been a lot of females in the gym period, little on like Israel. Like I don't know how the gym culture was there, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's obviously not the same as where we're from. Right. If that makes right. sense. So it's just interesting. I mean, we're in di- very different times yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Very, very different times. Like right now, you know, going to the gym and I mean, everyone has so much more awareness. Yeah. You know, for this was before this. Instagram. This is before a lot of this access to all this information and before all the mainstream female uh, fitness enthusiast has access to a lot of the information we do now. In particular, combating the myth of, you know, weights make women bulky. And that still persists. A lot of the women that I have trained and sat in consultations with still say or articulate some variation of their wish not to look bulky. So it's still quite embedded in the female psyche. There are a lot of women who have broken away from that, like you've described. Um, And I think it's getting better, but it still persists. And we still need to be sensitive to the fact that this is a real concern. Trainers can be really, really good at going, well, we know the difference. This is bullshit. And therefore assuming that everybody knows it's bullshit or glossing over it. But that person in front of you is still worried about it. I had a client return recently and she puts on muscle fairly easily and she's getting married. And so one of the things she made a point of saying in her program was, that she didn't want to put on any more muscle in her upper body. So that, of course, opened the door to a couple of things. One is catering to that wish and being sensitive to it. Instead of turning around and saying, hey, you're not going to get bulky, because guess what she actually does? Women will put on muscle. That is something that can happen. She wants to fit a wedding dress. Number two, it, I was able to softly bring it back around to the fact that, you know, strength training with a barbell in hand will not automatically put muscle on you. You need to be in a calorie surplus. And the real concern here was to draw her back to some nutritional adjustments to get her to her real goals, right? 
but I think when it comes to women, um, specifically me, when women start training with me, they will automatically say, a lot of them will say, but I don't want to be as big as you are, which I take as a compliment, you know, because <laughs> it took me years to get into the point that I'm like, oh, actually, you know, I look like I lift. Hmm. Um, but I think it's important when you first start with a client is to actually get the idea of what bulky means to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, I mean, women can essentially get bulk within a year, right? If they do everything right and, and, they, and they focus on progressive overload and all that, so they can gain um, a, nice of muscle, a nice amount of muscle, especially as a beginner. Um, I definitely think the, there is a place for a conversation about it and to kind of understand what exactly, what is bulky to you. Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of like, there's just a lot of male trainers, but they automatically assume bulky means bulky, like a bodybuilder. Like that's what, or like huge muscles. And like, that's not necessarily what all the women think. Like they might just not want to look like you who looks like you lift because you do. Exactly. And then exactly. of course, here's, here's the politically incorrect thing that we always have to come back to, but find a very, very kind and soft way to say it. Athletic women, women who have lean muscle don't look bulky. They don't. Women who are carrying excessive amounts of body fat look extremely bulky. And so it's funny enough, it's often the latter that is saying that they don't want to look like the former. So there's a, that's a bigger conversation. That's a, that's a challenging thing, but it, it's also sort of ludicrous that uh, people are afraid of actually the process of doing something really positive for themselves that will actually make them look less bulky. They're afraid they're going to get more bulky. Another funny thought is, Ernestry does this fucking stupid thing where they tell women that they can't get bulky or put on significant muscle mass. Those same people are saying that all these different booty exercises will build a bulky, a big muscular ass. So, which is true. Can we make women muscular? Uh, can we not make women muscular in general? Or can we just somehow magically only make butts bigger and muscular? So, your thoughts well on that? Well, I think from gender perspective, uh, women can add more muscle mass in the lower body easily because we have more muscle mass there naturally. And with men, it's the opposite. Men have more, carry more muscle mass in the upper body. So I think that's why essentially, um, yeah, that's a big difference. As evidenced by all the men walking around in jogging pants in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> right? And like stringer tees, but they're wearing... Uh, Pants that conceal their calves. <laughs> I don't know. I wear, shorter, I wear shorter shirts and have small calves. But I don't like things touching my knees when I work out. So that, that takes away joggers. Do, you, you like tuck your shorts up. Yeah, I don't use, like, I don't like do stuff. You do that, don't you? I don't like stuff tucking my, my touching my knees. Like it has nothing to do with, like the reason why those people roll their legs, they want to show their legs. I don't want to show my legs. I just don't want shit touching my knees. Okay. I know that's weird, but try explaining that to someone. But I just... <laughs> Everyone knows now. <laughs> All right, let's have some fun with this one. So we've we've had a few conversations before this, which actually helped shape the the stuff we're going to talk about. So we discussed the challenges of being a trainer and the un unpredictable nature of our hours, our income. A lot of trainers definitely struggle with this stuff. Um, and what philosophy have you built within your business to take care of you and ensure that you're able to earn a more stable income? Right. Um... Okay, so I started working just like everyone else in a commercial gym, and I was making uh, not a lot of money, obviously, for the amount of, uh, of hours that I worked, right? 
So I decided to transition, you know, after graduating into starting my own business. And then basically in order to make sure that I have some kind of a consistent income, it was important for me to find the people that are willing to commit for um, a three month or a 12 week commitment, basically. So they either they work with me anywhere between once a week to three times a week, and they're committed to uh, 12 weeks. Um, I do not work with anyone less than that amount. And that's kind of like, obviously, it, it is meant for me for you know, for my source of income, but also for them, because if you want to see any changes, three months, I would say that's the minimum amount of time. You know, not only for change, for, for obviously for for um, for obviously getting the tools that you need, right, in order to continue doing it, to continue strengthening. So whatever it is, even if it's someone that started with me for, you know, once a week for 12 weeks, so that's essentially 12 sessions. That's not that many sessions for a beginner, right? But then obviously, like I give them homework, and you know, and I make sure to really uh, utilize all of the time that we have, so they can continue doing this on their own. If they decide not to continue working with me, that makes total sense. Well, and this kind of leads into, and we'll talk about a lot of things, but like that's a strong commitment from your clients, and so I guess you'd have to deliver massively on value. So, how do you approach going about adding value to clients when you're basically expecting a lot from them? It may not be to us, but to them, like twelve weeks is for yeah, twelve weeks is a lot. Right. So. Um... So I would say the first thing is that, is that yeah, you're right. I, I put out a lot of content and a lot of value out, but I think the main thing is when I meet them, it's to, is I give them the sense that, I mean, I, I really do want to help them, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about another number on my, right? So the same idea that they choose me, I choose them, right? So I'm not going to just accept every, anyone who wants to work with me because I really want to make sure that, um, the commitment is there. And I think that if you get, if you get, if you give people the sense that you really care and you really truly care, you just pretend to caring, they will want to work with you, especially people that have been through other Mm -hmm. trainers in the past and they know what it, and they can kind of like differentiate between you and other coaches out there, other trainers out there, because to be honest, it is, can I curse? Absolutely. You can say fuck shit. (laughs) whatever it is a shit show out there and we know that we know that anyone can become a trainer right after a day or two they can uh, take a test online and 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 just become a trainer right so essentially i think that people and obviously it's it's a word of mouth right people Mm -hmm. people will talk if you're doing a good job people will talk and um yeah and and i think that if, if if they think that you care and you know what you're doing and they talk to other people, right? So um, they will commit. I can really, most of the times when I do consults, people will sign in, like right on spot. This also becomes a good filter for weeding out the people who aren't serious, the tire kickers, because we get those in consultations. And I will, like, let's say someone messages me and the first question they ask is, uh, what are your rates? there's a very poor chance that person is going to train with me uh, because I am not uh, a discount trainer in our city. I still think I'm more than reasonably priced. I try to deliver a lot of value on it, but I still am worth a lot per hour. 
if someone is looking on price first, there's two things. One is with that question, I have very little opportunity, though I try to establish that the value of my work. Someone sees the price and they don't have the context of value. If you establish value first as a trainer, then a lot of people will pay any price. It doesn't matter. And then that person is also going to go and shop and they're going to find the $40 an hour trainer on Kijiji who will come to your home and train you. Uh, and you're going to get what you pay for. I feel like I said this recently somewhere, maybe even on the podcast. You know, you think paying for a good trainer is expensive. Uh, wait till you hire a bad one. and The, the things that are going to come out of that one, you get hurt. So, well, Yeah, I think, yeah. No, no, so you go. Um, what was that? Oh yeah. So when people, when someone comes to me and say, um, yeah, I just want to work with you like five times. I'm a beginner, right? I'm a beginner. And I just want to work with you know, five times. I can afford. I'm like, I, I always tell them, like, honestly, um, there's so many programs out there, mm -hmm. right? Free programs, bodybuilding.com tutorials, and, you know, on YouTube, that would be way cheaper. That won't cost you anything. Right. When I do my job, I want to make sure that the person actually gets, everything they need to in order again that that's my point in order to continue their you know to continue strengthening on their own and i think that with five sessions especially for beginners i don't i can i won't be able to deliver that because i just know how many nuances right every exercise has and and how and how everyone right and everything has a learning curve so i feel like again the most important thing is really to 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 help them get to the point that they feel comfortable and are competent enough to do this on their own for the rest of, them, of their lives. Well, it's even understanding your value system personally, because <clears throat> essentially you've said like, oh, you want to make money and blah, 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 blah. But you've established value that, or your own personal beliefs and values that you want to deliver like a good product. You want them to do well. You don't just want their money. And not that everyone wants their money if they do one session at a time, but you've really established your boundaries, even as a trainer, which is, admirable but it also probably pans out long term for you because you don't have to fight that battle you're like i only care like it's three months i mean i tried i mean i was in commercial gym i tried the three sessions yeah. i tried the five session i tried the eight and ten i just realized that at the end of that you know i, I didn't i i didn't feel as a coach that i did yeah. a good job yeah. you know at the end of the day they didn't learn as much as they should have you know after training with me and yeah that's at the end of the day kind of like what really made me change yeah. I, I don't think anyone would i think you could be the best trainer in the world in three sessions isn't that's not a lot of time because if you like you're not even working out the whole time you know what really? i mean like it, that's a i'm sure there's people that could do it but three sessions <laughs> is so short and anyone who's trained for a long time with a trainer can probably understand you that you still need to be able to create I mean, even in a consultation, you need to be able to create yeah. a rapport and a connection with that person. So the more time you have with someone, obviously the better you better opportunity you have. But at the same time, we do still need to be able to develop that positive relationship very quickly. And, you know, I, I feel like you were saying to me before that, you know, anyone who sits down in front of you now buys from you, right? Say <clears throat> it again? I said, I, I think you said that anyone who sits down in front of you now in a consultation buys from you. They hire you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, so correct. there's something very obvious about both your ability to develop that rapport within the space of an hour or so, but also there's probably something about the system by which you filter the people who are sitting in front of you. So you 
charge for consultations, which is something not a lot of trainers do. That's a good way to filter out people who aren't serious, who may waste your time. So sometimes these policies that we have to set boundaries and protect ourselves important, like our cancellation policy, which you and I have talked a bit about. Uh, we, at first, it sounded like we did different things, but really when it boiled down to it, we were coming from very much the same place with the same concern to put the client first. I care more about my clients than I care about their money. When you care about your clients, you tend to make a lot of money anyway, but it's still so important to set some boundaries. So what are some of the ways you've set boundaries uh, with your work life with clients to hold them accountable? As far as keeping them consistent? Yeah, or any aspect of it, or even just some, or like, of, the, what are, what are some your, of the policy yeah. and the philosophy behind it. What, what, what shit don't you take from clients? Like, what, what do they have to do to stay with well, you? Okay, so if I work, okay, so I work based on twelve week week contracts, and they are committed for these twelve weeks. Meaning, let's just say they go, they go on a vacation, they're sick, they're still paying for these twelve weeks, and they will. And I put okay, so I keep them accountable in a way that let's just say they go on a week vacation and they lost two sessions, they missed two sessions, right? So they're still getting charged for these sessions, but then it's up to them to contact me and tell me, hey, I want to meet with you. I have two sessions I need to complete. I will never say no to a client ever, ever, even if it means that, you know, three weeks later, they'll complete it. Mm-hmm. They'll complete it, you know, but I want to put it on them. I want to keep them accountable for, um, for missing sessions. And that has worked really, really well. And this is something that I've, I started doing since January. Yeah, this year, January. The, yeah, so that was really, well, really well. Well, I'm pretty honest on them is like, I, I kind of do that too. So with Stronger You, like, they're expected to track and fill out their spreadsheets and stuff. But you have the option as a coach to pre-fill out some of their, their metrics on their on their spreadsheet. And I don't because there's a walkthrough, there's an email, there's like a video for them to do it. And I know if they, if they ask and I'm not going to say a stupid question, but if they ask a very simple question that could have been answered by them doing the work, I already know what I'm working with and it puts the onus on them, but it really does work because if they don't do it themselves, generally anyone that I do all the work for, it never works out because you don't want to have to do, you don't want to care more about it than they do. And that's what it comes down to. hundred percent. You can't, you cannot make people care. You can, you can show them how amazing you can be, right? If they do the work, there's a, who said it? I forgot who said it. You can't. I forgot a saying. You can bring the horse. What's what's? Oh, the you you can lead a what's... horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. Then no. and then someone said, but you can make the water look really really tasty. <laughs> That's actually good. I like that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm stealing that one. But they have to, but they have to fucking go drink the water and like it. There's. I've done it both ways where I've done more work for them to hopefully get them to do it. And even with programming and trying to expect that if I do the work, they'll just follow it. And it, it just never works. Like, I don't want to say it never works, but like they have to do it. Like at the end of the day, we don't, we don't even do, they, they're still lifting the weights. They're still following their diet. They're still showing up at the gym. That's all on them. That has nothing to do with you. Right. Well, that's already, I mean, that, that's a huge beginning, you know, just yeah. by, just by, Hiring you as a trainer, that's that's mm-hmm. huge. I think I wonder if you've had this experience. I know I've had it a few times. Um, I think a lot of trainers will. 
where you get the type of person who will buy the big training package. And for them, the action of purchasing the training somehow in their mind is the action that they need to take. And they have no concept whatsoever. In fact, they actually have to show up and put a lot of effort into this, these sessions or actually make some real lifestyle changes. For them, the fact that they've hired a trainer, in, in a way they can go around telling people, hey, I have a trainer. But these can sometimes be the type of people who that was the thing that they did because it was sort of easy despite the, the writing the check, so to speak, for it. But they're just not willing to put in any other sort of effort. I think it's the same kind of mentality that buys exercise crap off of late night infomercials on television and then they end up being clothing racks at home. Right. So, okay, so this is what I do. In the consultation, I will provide as much value and I will sit down with them even for three hours, right? Essentially, it's not really, right? For three hours to bring them the most value and to talk about realistic expectations. I think that's huge. If you put it on the table at the beginning, what they can expect from you, what I expect for, from them, right? Um, Again, it will show them that you that you truly care, and it will show them how you know how things are going to work. Because yeah, obviously, like hiring you is not is not uh, the end of it. They actually have to do the work. When it gives them like I like that because I do that too. Is that if you let them know your expectations or what's going to happen, you're not hiding anything. Like you know exactly what you're signing up for. So it's, there's no surprises because I think a lot of people like to hide stuff. And then maybe not with that, but if you don't lay out those expectations, because maybe they don't want to work that hard. Maybe you're what not. You, hmm? What do you mean hide stuff? I don't... Like some people won't tell them everything that's entailed in it so that they can get their business. And that's usually like they will hide costs or something. But if you have it all on the table, they know what they're signing up for. And some people may not want to work that hard. They, they may want someone who's going to work them less hard. And that's fine. As long as they know that at least that their expectations are met or they know the process because some people may want something different than what you're offering and getting them as a client just be just to get them on might not be the best fit for either of you right i mean when i when someone is already making an effort to contact me and then sit down with me so before i even see them i send them a questionnaire a very comprehensive questionnaire that it actually takes time to answer i can mm. i've had clients that sat down and and wrote everything up for like an hour and then we meet in person so I think if they already spent all that time, then I always tell them like, look, you're already here, you already invested time. So maybe just, I always like thinking in terms of like something is better than, enough, than nothing. So if they cannot commit to, to um, two hours per week, maybe it's one hour per week, maybe it's 30 minutes per week, something. And started, so at least they're working towards their goals. It's almost, the look at it. it's almost the opposite of this click funnel sort of mentality of trying to make it very easy, one click to get yeah. someone to press purchase. No. It's the opposite yep. where what we're doing, and I know that Andy Morgan... I was going to say it's Andy Morgan. Andy, Andy does a really good job of this where it makes it very clear, the expectation, the very long questionnaire. And again, what it does is it filters out the people who aren't serious and the people who end up in front of you. Now, again, it also filters people down and, and potentially can lose opportunities to sit down and sell someone. But my attitude is I don't want to sell someone who's not sure. Uh, I'm not really comfortable with really pushing a lot of aggressive sales tactics. In fact, I don't like it. But if I, 
my hope is that whoever is sitting in front of me is already more or less pre-sold or very seriously interested based on referral. And having these kinds of uh, policies in place or things in place like that kind of questionnaire is going to get you highly qualified leads and people. So I think it's smart business. Where did you where did you get the questionnaire from? I know uh, we're like basically just dissecting everything, but like where did you get that idea and like where how did you put that together? Was that something that you researched or like? No, um, well, I worked at a gym and I we always had to give you know like a health history questionnaire, but then what about other aspects of training? You know, like if they're ready to train and you know, can I get to know them better? You know, how many how many uh, kids they have, what they like to do in their free time, all those lifestyle factors that are really missed. Um, and I think are a big factor in determining if, you know, the client is a good is, is a um, good fit for you, you know, so they write down their expectations as well. And, and it's, it's, it really gives me a big picture about who they are, where they want to be, um, what they expect from me and really to determine if we're if we're compatible to work together so that's kind of like yeah it grew out of a necessity I would say. all right so now next thing that we sort of uh, talked about there's a quote from you it says uh, you'd said that we are selling delayed gratification so we're obviously living in a world where a lot of people act and behave on impulse uh, very now with food, with other lifestyle behaviors. So, um, I want you to explain what you meant by that. So, well, nowadays, yeah, we live in a world where uh, we're used to instant gratification, right? I mean, you can order something online and and you can get it like within two hours, right? Through Amazon, they had they have that kind of service. But um, yeah, we're used to getting whatever we want with with a click of a button. So. Us as trainers, we sell, we basically sell their, I mean, their work, right? I mean, we don't sell a, a product, right? It's not an exchange of a product. It's a service. But not only that, you actually saying, hey, I'll help you. I'll guide you. I'll coach you. But you need to do the work. So I think that's way harder than anything else. Yeah, it's a, um, shitty, it's a shitty deal. It's like, what? <laughs> you can't do this for me? You think about it like that, it is. But um, but it also, I mean, it, it's the one that can really make the biggest difference in someone's lives, you know? Um, yeah. Well, it's, it, that's a skill that bleeds over not just in the, the fitness space. Like, that's everything. Like, we talk about food, work, career. Like, that, it, that's a pretty good skill to learn. And I think that that's why people have a lot of success when they see success in the gym in other areas. Right. And you teach them that. By making them pay for it, but <laughs> but it, it does like we we've talked about this before. Like it has to hurt in terms of their investment in whatever it is. But like that's why not why trainers cost a lot of money. But if it costs a lot of money and they're paying three months up front, like that's that hurts enough that they have to at least delay that gratification because they've already invested in it and then like they really can't see results for three months minimum. And so right, but I don't right. But not only that, I mean, it teaches them that um, it helps them distinguish between all the misinformation out there, yeah. you know, and the, and the evidence-based information, you know? And we're, fight, um, we're fighting the people selling six-pack shortcut ads, and a lot of the marketing that's out there does promise instant gratification. So I'm, I'm, I'm writing something bigger that sort of goes to this, but 
it does, and we we make light of industry bad practice a lot, but that is a useless exercise unless it also is accompanied by some attitude or action that is helping you make your business better. You can cry about people. I've seen a lot of this lately. People who have been negatively crying about fitness professionals or, or people on Instagram who are always got their clothes off. And there's a way to do it and a way not to. I mean, you've posted about this, but you've been smart about it. But if all we're doing is just whining about someone who is taking booty shots, but we're actually not taking any sort of action to make our own business successful or put good information to get someone's attention and actually like compete for that, then the act, the exercise of just whining about it's useless. Uh, I think I got a little bit off track. On I was like, what, what, where did this rant come from? What do you think about it? It was something I was writing earlier. Um, well, I was even, I was even, if, if we want to tie that into it, it's just like, we always get on rants, so... But this ties into what you're doing is that there's a lot of people that will um, talk negatively about how people run their business. And there's probably people that think that your three-month commitment is a little too much or your intake process. Like I know people criticize Andy for his intake process, but like fuck off. People can run their business however they want because it's unique to you and how you well, how you need to operate to be successful. If that means – you know what I mean? You know? And it works and it works and it might not work for other people. And like I don't even think you're saying that, but it's just I hate when there's a negative – energy about how other people run their shit because there's people who take their shirts off that are fucking good coaches yeah well and that's something that i was getting into is like you look at people like brian cron <clears throat> he's shirtless half the time uh our friend michael dietrich i don't think the man can keep his shirt on he's actually one of the sweetest most qualified trainers we know uh you know he's a great dude and yeah he just does it it it, it doesn't come off in a negative way but uh i'll pull it back into what we're talking about with instant gratification of the coaches who are selling this stuff we can make light of it but if we spend too much time negative about that and not enough time about doing a really good job of appealing to the type of people who want help from us and getting them to understand the value of being able to delay that gratification um, and to put in the time the effort the investment for a real outcome not a fake outcome not a water cut that's gonna not a, a keto diet that will drop 10 pounds of water right away, but actual lifestyle change that is going to lead to a healthier, better life, uh, better mental health, just feeling more amazing 10 fucking years from now. Um, and I would rather work with the type of client who is interested in that, but at the same time, sometimes it's our job to take someone off that instant gratification edge and to get them to appreciate that this is really worth it and a lot of good things will happen to you if you'll just trust the process and have a little faith in it. I think outside of these rants, this leads to a question for you and we, we didn't really talk about it, but do you feel because of your intake process and like just having longer term clients that you're missing out on some of the people you could potentially like help? Like how, and you might not, but like how do you go about that? Cause like not everyone initially is going to see the um, value of that. I might lose, lose on people, lose out on people. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. That's you, okay. That, that's what works for me. Yeah, you, you are as busy as you want to be, right? You said that yeah. you, you yes, are not taking on any in-person clients right now, although no. you're looking to expand your online. So yes. right. we can't help everybody either. But I like that because like, and this gets thrown around a lot, is that like everyone wants to help everyone and blah, 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 blah. But like they don't, yeah. they don't structure their life to figure that out anyways. You know what I mean? So like, here's the other thing, and, and I'll ask you about this, because I know this is something you're working on is, if you want to be able to help more people, but don't want to put more hours into in-person people, 
What are you now doing to scale your reach for more people and create information that will help more? Well, I can't really scale my content. I just create more and more valuable content, right? I mean, so Instagram, putting out articles, uh, making posts on Facebook, basically try to bring as much value as I can thinking about my ideal clientele. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about it, right? So I work basically everything that my clients ask me throughout the day or in a text, whatever it is, I write it down and then I make a post about it or I made an infographic about it. I think the only difference now is as far as my strategy on Instagram is that I started posting more videos because people apparently love videos <laughs> compared to infographics. Um, so yeah, that's what currently has been working for me. And um, that's kind of like my strategy for now. And the goal is to grow reach, grow brand to the point where you're also creating informational products that you can sell, which is a way to scale income and right. get you the quality of information you're putting out there. And guys, you, we'll, we'll tell you how to find Savon online after, but the stuff she's writing and, and putting out, especially on Instagram, the video stuff is fantastic. So, and we're gonna, this will actually lead into the next question about well, this sort of dearth of like fitness professionals, but especially the women side of the industry. Well, but it goes down to like, so, and we've talked about quality of work and how that should matter. And this goes into a greater issue about how your gender as a professional shouldn't matter. But we don't see as many women featured predominantly in the strength and conditioning space. So we want your thoughts on, on this and why it appears to be the case. Is there any opportunity for female fitness professionals here or are they lured into that different approach in the social media space? So we're talking about not the informational stuff, but the generalized, yeah, the, the booty pics, but like stuff, yeah. the, the image stuff. Okay, so this is what I think. I think that nowadays with social media, um, any person, any, let's talk women specifically, any woman, women that likes to work out, then they, sorry, any woman that likes to work out essentially will start right? Um, an Instagram page or a Facebook page. But if I like to work out, it doesn't mean that I coach people in real life. Yeah. And I think that's huge. And people, people mistaken that, you know, that, uh, um, you know, four exercises of the day or whatever posts that are out there about, about exercises and diet and all that for, um, actual competency mm -hmm. in the, in the profession. And, Again, if someone likes to work out, that doesn't mean that they're a trainer or they're a coach. And a lot of coaches on Instagram um, will not go to that route of like taking off their clothes and, and showing, you know, all these booty pictures and, and, and booty exercises and you try to bring value. So I think that's in terms of the general population. Um, I have noticed that too. Um, and it's more in women than males, but a lot of females who work out and like they're good at it, it's almost like it transitions into this like trainer thing, even though they're not trainers and they don't claim to be, but people are following them as they are trainers because they're posting their workouts. A lot of them do claim to be actually. Really? And not only women, I would say men too. I've talked to men that essentially write down their online trainers, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, whatever, 10, 20 years of experience. And then you talk to them and like, oh no, I have a regular job. Nine to five. I don't really, you know, I don't coach people. I don't train people. I'm not a trainer, but they pretend to be online. Well, the worst example blew up a while ago was this, uh, I think it was Brittany Dawn Fitness. 
And that's an example of someone who is an Instagram image influencer type. And again, we like to make fun of this sort of stuff, but like I said, we have to have some sort of constructive route to be better than this. And this girl has what half a million followers and she was promoting, I think online training programs and diets and various stuff like this. And she got overwhelmed by the surge of demand for it and she wasn't able to deliver on it. So it, it blew up, got a lot of media attention and she still didn't really refund or fully refund people or get all the programs out. It is still on the consumer to, to not be fooled by these people and to choose to follow quality people. What I sometimes find is that there's not necessarily like we know in our industry, it skews more heavily male traditionally in the trainer coaching strength and conditioning space. I think that women are breaking through and actually doing really, really wonderfully in kind of the wellness uh, nutrition side stuff, I think a bit more, but we still see an industry that is a little bit more dominated by men. So one of the reasons why this question came up is I mean, even if you look at our podcast guests, I didn't actually go back and count, but I would say a, about a third of our guests have been women, which makes two thirds of our guests men. And that's probably slightly over, over representative of our core in the industry. That has actually drawn criticism to us. We were criticized once for this. It was more, I, I don't think the criticism had any validity. We were actually accused of having a boys club, uh, bantering with our, our male guests differently than our female guests. I don't think I've ever felt comfortable calling Sohi Lee an idiot the way that we'll call Brad Dieter an idiot. And we were told that the women that we did have were tokens, which I was quite insulted by because I actually think that the women we brought on this podcast have been, you know, incredible. I refuse to put women on the podcast because they're women. I put women on the podcast because they are qualified fitness professionals and I will not devalue the qual the people that we've had on just to try to meet an arbitrary quota or ratio. But that being said, how can we as an industry create more opportunities for the really qualified women that are out there. And I also wonder, are some of the potentially qualified women being lured into getting. I actually, like, I think we should just start with that. Like, is there anything like as an industry, cause like this is a good perspective for you to go on that can help not. So it's not so skewed. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think it really depends on how much, how much you put yourself out there, right? I'm sure there are other coaches out there and they're probably just not creating content and yeah. may, maybe more focusing on their in-person training, right? Not everyone. I think we need to remember that if the person, if a, if a coach is not online, is not present online, doesn't have an online um, um, platform, doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? <laughs> so I think... Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's a lot of examples of that. And that yeah. it sucks because that's the world we live in now is that if you're not online, you're not real. But there's a lot of not real people that are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, it really depends on how much, yeah, how much you put yourself out there. And I think that if you're a woman or if you're a man and you put out good, good content and you really want to help people and you're good at what you do, then people will notice it and people will talk. Well, I think I think there is a natural disadvantage too, though. I think that it's up to like people who can promote good females do it, as opposed to just highlighting all their friends, which which is what we try to do. But I think that it is still it's an uphill battle. You know what I mean? But it, I am seeing it a lot. Like even T Nation, like they're sponsoring a lot more women than they have in the past. You're a writer on there, yeah. 
but it's just like shit like that. You still have to put out the content so that people can promote it. Right. Which, right. which that's, that's for everyone though. I see there's dudes that are really good coaches and I'm like, get on fucking Instagram. But some people just don't want to do that. Like that's another thing where like that just might not be right for your business, which sucks because that's where the most reach is. And so it's, it's a weird uphill battle. Well, it's not just about Instagram validating people either because I mean, we could find tons of women who've got 500,000 followers who don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> it's um, about, you, you used an example and I agree with it. One of the reasons why you're here and the reason why you and I uh, started talking to each other was the fact that you be, you were on T Nation. So I recently started running for them and then so did you. And yes, traditionally T Nation, and I won't criticize them for it because I understand their audience, uh, has been predominantly male writers. There's been few good female examples. Danny Sugar, who's one of the editors, she's been on our podcast and she's wonderful. But it was exciting to see that, you know, somebody got into that space. And you know what that said about you, that you were really qualified, right? If somebody's breaking through and writing for Teen Nation and they're a woman, that means that, okay, they, they know their shit and they're really, really smart. So. There's testosterone in the name. <laughs> <laughs> like you're already at a disadvantage. <laughs> But I, I, but I think that's because I'm really, really passionate about it. Like I'm really passionate about strength training. Like I always say, I'm totally like I'm I'm a bro at heart. So for me, you know, being featured there, that's that's a huge honor, and I definitely pushed for it, right? Yeah. Definitely, I put out content, and then I right, I want that exposure there specifically. I don't think probably maybe there are not a lot of coaches out there that want that exposure there. Absolutely. So, well, it's even, it's, it's, it's a tough, like writing is not easy for a lot of people. And like, you can tell smart people or people who have something to say to write, but sometimes they just don't want to write or put out content. They put out content. Like you said, there's a lot of in-person coaches that are doing a lot of things. That's just not their space. Like you still have to be creative. You have to be able to write, you have to be able to do videos and you have to see these things through to actually do it. And there is a barrier to entry for a lot of these things. Cause you, you might know stuff, but you can't write well, like that right. sucks. I'm not saying I'm the greatest writer. Like I'm, I'm an immigrant, so but I do my best. <laughs> here's here's a thought that I've I've had for a while about you know creating opportunity for women in the industry. First of all, I have a very strong abundance mindset, growth mindset, and I think that we can create opportunity for more people. I will never promote any individual of any category uh, if they're not qualified. I will not put a guest on this podcast if I do not genuinely believe that they belong here and they've earned it. That being said, the gla glass ceilings don't knock themselves down. They don't come down on their own. So it also is important to be aware of, you know, great female professionals in our industry who deserve opportunities. Uh, when Dean, I, Dean Somerset and our team started putting together the, uh, the Evolve um, Canadian Strength Symposium that we have here September 14, 15, um, we have 10 speakers, uh, four of them are women. Um, we have minorities and we have LGBTQ plus get, uh, speakers. We're not promoting it based on that because I don't like promoting things based on those things because it's not about that. But we, we still have a diverse guest uh, speaker list. And it could have been really, really easy to just go and grab 10 men, 10 straight white men in the industry. But there are good people in other, in other places. I've gone to events where I went to an event where it was... 25 male speakers. Really? Yeah. No, I don't, yeah. Not a single female speaker. 
and guess what? I still care a lot more about the quality of who these people are and every one of those people is qualified. But it would have been kind of cool to see, you know, opportunities granted because it would have been very easy to create opportunities for other professionals. So it's sort of a fine line. You know, don't put people in these positions just because they're minorities or they're women. They should really, really be qualified because you devalue uh, the people who've earned it. But at the same time, you know, if it's nothing but a steady stream of, of men, then are, are we really trying to help break those barriers for deserving qualified professionals? So I, th- I think it's if you have the opportunity to do so, we have it with the podcast, we have it with this event, and with the content and information that we share on our social media, then, you know, we can do a really good job of taking every qualified man and not taking spots away from qualified people, but creating opportunities for other qualified people. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, totally makes sense. Good. We're, so, we're on a rant podcast today. You, you, you the, the 100th episode is going to be rants. We need a rant that you're passionate about. Is there any shit you want to air out? Um, let me think. You're like, oh yeah, I got lots. Let me think what else. Um... <laughs> Sumo deadlifts. <laughs> even as even as you're thinking about this, so something we didn't mention is um, this is actually you said this is your first podcast ever, right? So you this have, is your first podcast? Yeah. What? Yeah. Right. Congratulations! So, something I've, I've already talked about doing is I'll uh, I'll grab some of our friends who have podcasts and we're gonna mention you to them and and create more opportunities like that. So uh, because you're deserving, not because you're a woman, but because you're absolutely deserving. And that's kind of the point that we're And she's jacked. And she's jacked. So <laughs> and that's actually more important than anything. Any, any any thoughts that you wanted to throw out there or I'll uh, I've got something else lined up for you anyway. So um hmm. I think we kind of talked about everything we're gonna talk about, no? <laughs> so you, you guys you guys alluded to you know, coaching people in person in uh, the last discussion. But you also recently posted about this. You know, you love in-person coaching. Um, and in the face of some of our industry who push everyone towards online, there are people who are selling online training. And I'm not talking about the John Goodmans and the Online Trainer Academy, where John is really just trying to teach trainers to add a tool to the toolbox to create a little bit of extra income. I'm talking about the other people out there who are saying that in-person training is dead, the future is online. That is no. You didn't say that. You makes me laugh when I hear about it because no, (laughs) ever ever go away. Even if we have freaking trainer robots, it will not go away. People want the um, people want um, people want to communicate with other human beings. People want to feel like they're understood. People, I mean, we're social beings, right? So I think um, I don't think it will ever go away. I really don't. There, we got you fired up. Tell us more. <laughs> because, I mean, I do I do some online training, but I think I'm very passionate about in-person training because you really get, you know, you really get to know the, the person. Um, you really get to connect with them and, you know, and understand them. And, and you know, you can have great conversations with clients. And... Um, and obviously, it keeps me it keeps me sharp as a coach and, and all that. Um, yeah, and I truly enjoy that. I enjoy that interaction, that real life interaction. 
Eric, we had this with Eric Helms just because he's pretty much transitioned almost all online. And we asked him, like, is there an element that you lose your edge a little bit from not being in person? And he, he, he agreed. So basically, he goes to seminars every once in a while and he has to re-get his coaching eye. But it's hard to write new content and be up with the information if you're not in the trenches doing it. Because that's where most of the strength coaches learn half the shit is by doing. And you can't do that without being in person because online is shit for that. Well, I've, I've, I've witnessed people who I think are brilliant and I respect who no longer or don't necessarily have a lot of experience coaching other people and they really exist in the educational theoretical realm and sometimes i see them demonstrate stuff that um i I certainly don't agree with i think that isn't technically the way that things should be done and and that's not to criticize uh those people because 95 percent of what they're doing plus is actually fantastic i value in-person coaching i love it i think it's important and then the other thing and you said this earlier you alluded to it about people going online who have no experience coaching people, but then they're they're selling programs and stuff. I do not believe anyone is qualified to train anyone in the online space. If you don't have a fairly extensive level of experience with coaching, watching, working with people, teaching form in a in-person venue first. So you end up being dangerous. I think that's the biggest thing is like they suck at it. So how are you going to transfer that into online? Yeah, I agree. I think you can write. I think you can be very academic and actually understand a ton of this stuff and do really great things to educate other trainers. But a lot of the best educators, we'll use our friend Nick Tuminello, who's down in Baltimore with you. Nick's, you know, coaches people. He's coached people for a long time. He's won awards as a, as a great personal trainer. He's also still one of the best educators in our field. He's a great presenter. He's an innovative thinker and he's a cha- he challenges industry dogma and rigid ways that we get boxed into thinking. And he adds a lot of value to, uh, you know, anyone, if, if you're not following Nick, we've had Nick on a podcast. He's, he's a great guest. He's a great uh, thoughtful person, but he still works with people. And I think now I, I still think that most of the best educators in the industry still coach. People. You can't replace that. Now, Dean and- Somerset's one of the better educators in the industry. Dean coaches a ton of people. Dean has probably coached more people in the industry than anyone else. He still does it. Yeah. He travels half the goddamn year. He's coaching yeah. like 30 sessions a week. You were going to say something, Zalon? Yeah. No, I said also Tony Gentlecore. Yeah. Another He's one, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, well, they both travel together teaching their seminar and like they're stacked in person, which is insane. If you, if you do the, I tried to do the math on their hours, at least when he was like really busy. And I was like, how do you have a life? <laughs> Like, well, I remember like it's hard to have a life as a trainer generally with that many sessions on travel. Well, I, re- I remember when I very first met Dean, we worked for the same company together. I started just sh- shy of nine years ago and I would see the list of the, the top session producing trainers in our old company. And Dean was always one of the top ones. And I figured out, wait a second, this Dean guy who works for my company is the same Dean that writes for T Nation. Cool. Um, anyway, so I've got to know him a little bit, but I was always gutting for him and these other trainers for the session totals and of course within a couple of years I was blowing everybody away and I did year over year far and away the most in the company but Dean was not far away but he was teaching continued education developing educational products he was early in on online coaching and doing a really goddamn good job of it traveling he's writing his blog when there's blogs writing his blog (laughs) and meanwhile I was just churning sessions and the gap wasn't so big when you look back you realize holy shit and We've had him on the podcast talking about how he's able to be as productive and as, as prolific with everything he's done. 
he doesn't waste time. I, I stayed with him when we went to Vancouver together, and he's we were bitching about some making videos or something. He's like, how many hours in a day do you have? And he's like, you, how many hours do you train? Well, you have three hours a night, do videos. And I'm like, holy shit, he's serious. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, I want to watch TV. He's like, well, I think that's, that's what I did. That's why he is where he is. Right? Yeah. He's worked hard for a good amount of time. And, you know, he's a, he's been a role model to me. In fact, one of my most significant role models since I've started. And, uh, you know, I know he's someone you looked up to and, it, you know, you and I uh, connect because I think we're at a very similar place and a similar path in this stage of our career. So it's, it's she's much that. bigger than you. She's more jacked than I am. And probably stronger. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, we've got to, you got to ask you about reading. So is there anything that you've read that really stands out for you? Um, not recently, but for sure it was the book, uh, The Compound Effect. I forgot who wrote it though. What's that? I've um, never heard that one. So we were talking about this and so have you ever heard of the slight edge? Yeah. So they're really the same concept and I think that the books talk about similar things. I don't know the author of the compound effect either. Do you want to explain the idea behind it? Yeah. So the whole idea is basically that everything that you do in life, um, it's based on, you know, small actions throughout time. Right. So, um, so, sorry, sorry. Everything that happens in your life is a, is, is a compound effect of small actions that you took throughout time. Right? Um, if you eat like crap and you don't exercise, then uh, slowly but surely your, your health will deteriorate. You know, same thing with, uh, um, with work, right? If you slowly, slowly, slowly build uh, work on your business, it will compound into something huge. So it all depends on whatever actions you take throughout life um, whether it's, you know, good actions or bad actions, there will be, um, a result, uh, a cumulative, um, result out of that. So, yeah. That makes a ton of sense. If you think about anyone, anyone's listening, you think about when you started working out and how challenging it was at the beginning, that instant gratification urge, like we talked about, and look now at all the good that's happened, even though initially it was very incremental, you just went to the gym the next day, you didn't notice the difference. You look at yourself in the mirror right now or where you are in your life with the way you approach the discipline of other aspects of your life based on just taking it day by day by day. You know, eating healthy one day doesn't lose weight, but stringing that together over a very long period of time dramatically change your life. Um, look at your physical and your emotional well-being. I can look at, you know, when I first started working, that would have been about 17 years ago and certainly when my career is about nine years old. The cumulative positive effect on my emotional well-being. The fact I have this career based on having started working out one day at the gym and then stringing that together. Uh, I'm ready for Team Nation because I started writing on Facebook years ago and I continue to write, 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 write. Finally got a website and <laughs> then also incrementally started going and meeting and connecting with people in the industry. And so these things don't happen instantaneously. They add up over time. And the same is true for you and all the time you spent in the industry. It's not a sexy message. And there's the definition of like small steps <laughs> like, in a good way. Like you'll do things on your own merits, but like you've made like, and this is me saying nice things about Andrew, but over the last two years, like you've basically done super small steps because Andrew doesn't like to make big steps at all, but that's, that's, that, that's okay. But every once in a while, those small steps end up becoming something big. The first time you published an article on bodybuilding.com, I bet you that was the most incredible feeling. 
Uh, that's a big step, right? The first one that I remember seeing went, went up on in T Nation. I remember the day that that happened. One of my, a couple of my clients got together for my birthday and framed, blew up and framed the screenshot of that article. It sits on my mantle, which, you know, it's a source of pride. It means a lot to me. So, but yeah, it, it does start with small incremental steps and it requires a fuck ton of patience and, and belief that it will work. And I, 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 again, I read the book, The Slight Edge, which talks about the same stuff. So I'm sure the compound effect is very, very similar, but I know that these books will reinforce this idea and go read one of them, the other, or both. I hate, I hate when you recommend books we haven't read because I have to go read them. <laughs> I don't have time to read. You're going to make time to read. <laughs> All right, people only got to know where to find her. Yeah, yeah. So we've been talking all these nice things. Where the hell do people find you? Like, what's your, what's your Instagram? Where do they find you on Facebook? Where's the best place to consume all your content? Best place would be uh, my website. So sivanfaganfitness.com and Instagram. I think I go by Strong with Sivan on Instagram and Facebook as well, Strong with Sivan. But I think if you type Strong with Sivan or Sivan Fagan Fitness, we'll be the same thing. And, and you've written for? For... Uh, bodybuilding.com yeah. and T-Nation. Perfect. And again, if you guys want to spell that because she said it so fast, S-I-V-A-N-F-A-G-A-N. So go check out her stuff. Um, guys, thank you so much for tuning into episode number 100. We're proud of the fact that we made it this far. Uh, I think we probably have planned it's a, it's at least a compound effect. Actually, that's what it feels like. Because, like, literally, like, some weeks we're dragging ass, like, fuck, I don't want to do this podcast. But it's just been putting one foot in front of the other. There have been weeks like that, but almost every time after we do it, not this one. Totally. (laughs) No, I was excited for this one. Um, We usually walk away from going, man, that was really good. We're kind of pumped up. And then, yeah, so it, it still requires a lot of dedication, commitment to put this thing together. But this is a good example of why it's valuable, you know? We have a probably a lot of listeners who don't know who you are yet. I'm hopeful that a lot of them have found you previously. I hope you guys really seriously go and check out, follow her on Instagram. That's where she seems to focus most of her attention. Uh, she's putting out incredible information. She's a really qualified person. Um, someone I really am enjoying absorbing, listening to, learning from. And so I hope you guys do too. So Savon, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you so much for having me. Shut up and sit down.